when you understand this new position is not based on you, then you understand how this new position cannot change. Where if you slip up, God doesn't say, oops, I'm taking that sainthood away. Hello and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor at Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We are camped in one of the most important passages of not only the book of Romans, but of the entire Bible. In chapter 3, we see that the condition of mankind is that of a bankrupt sinner unable to save himself. And in our study entitled, God's Way of Salvation from Romans 3, verse 24, we're seeing that justification by faith in Christ alone is an act and a gift of God. Paul wants the church at Rome, and by extension, he wants every Christian to understand in a deeper, more profound way the grace of God. You can know enough of God's grace to be saved, but God wants you to grow in grace. And remember, this paragraph of Scripture, like the whole letter, is not written primarily to get lost people saved. It is written to save people that they might grow. And some of us have such a a loose understanding of the grace of God. We've never grown deep into the grace of God, and that's what God wants for us today. So in verse 22, he says, the righteousness of God is through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe, for there is no distinction. All people are in need of salvation, and he says the righteousness of God does not come on the basis of works, but through faith. And then he says, for there is no distinction. Now, most of us have Romans 3.23 memorized. It's one of the more quoted verses in all the Bible. For all who have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But it really should be memorized with the preceding clause because they're linked together in the original. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter if you are the pagan idolater of chapter 1, the moralists of chapter 2, the religionists of chapter 3. It doesn't matter if you're educated or uneducated. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or a Gentile, religious or non-religious, African, Asian, uh, Caucasian, black, white, purple. It doesn't matter. There is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we saw first he unfolded for us a universal verdict. All, without exception, it's totally comprehensive. Everyone who's alive, everyone who has lived, and everyone who is yet to be born is a sinner. All, without exception, have sinned. And we saw that this universal verdict has created an undeniable status, that we have sinned. And we noted the tense of the verb in, English, in Greek, and that's important because in Greek, it speaks not just of the time of time, but the kind of time. In Greek, God uses not only past, present, and future, the time of time, but he uses the kind of time. And we saw that this particular Greek verb that is translated have sinned looks not just at acts of sin that you've committed, but something you did way back yonder that he's going to explain in great depth when we come to Romans 5. That in Adam and with Adam, all of us, have sinned. It is an established fact. 
It doesn't matter how far downstream you are from Adam. In Adam we all sinned, such that the scripture says, in sin was I conceived, in sin was I shaped, the old English says. I was shaped in iniquity because when Adam sinned, I sinned with him. And so we have this status before God where we miss the mark, which is what the verb, the noun, and the adjective mean in Greek. Hamatano, to miss the mark of God's righteousness. It was used, as we noted in the first century, of an archer who was aiming at a target and he missed the bullseye. It was used in the first century of someone who had deviated from a known path. And so all of us, without exception, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Have sinned and fall short. And we saw that that also was one particular Greek word, and it describes an impossible chasm that we now face between us and God. The word fall short literally means to be utterly lacking. And again, it's interesting if you look outside of the New Testament to see its usage. It was used a farmer who planted too late, and so he had missed the season. He had failed to get his, his seed in the ground, and so he failed to get his crop. For all of sin, you could say, and missed the season of the glory of God. We saw also it was used in the first century of someone who is bankrupt financially. And so you might render it for all of sin and are bankrupt of the glory of God. And so all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. There's an undeniable status that we all share that creates an impossible chasm in that it only gets worse. It causes us to fall short of God's glory. And we saw the word glory as the word doxa. Remember that? We speak of the doxology, that little short hymn of praise. And the parallel word in the Old Testament is shekinah. The word Shekinah is translated in the Greek Old Testament with the word doxa. And the Shekinah speaks of God's uh, outward majesty, all of his glory, all of his magnificence, and every one of us falls short of that. So it's a horrible state in which man finds himself. Now that's just Paul's introduction. Now he gets into the meat of his sermon. And he's going to make three principal points. We're just going to look at the first one today that describes the source of our justification that is a picture of how to be saved God's way. And there are three important truths about justification that I want us to walk from this place with. Point number one, if you're taking notes, justification is an act of God. It's an act of God. Look again now at verse 24. Being justified as a gift by his grace, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Now, for starters, I think it's important that we define the word justified. What do we mean by the word justified? What comes to your mind? Now, again, the key expression in the paragraph and in the epistle is the righteousness of God. But now, for the first time, in verb form, Paul uses the same word that is translated justified or justification, and it means to declare righteous. Now, when you come to words like justification and propitiation and reconciliation and demonstration and uh, redemption, what comes to your mind? See, very often when Christians hear words like that, they say, well, those are words for pastors and those are words for uh, theologians, but those are not words that I need to know or that I can understand. Yes, you can understand them. 
And if you don't know what redemption, reconciliation, propitiation, justification means, you'll never grow up in Jesus Christ. You will stay a baby Christian. These are very important words, and God gives them to us for our spiritual growth. Number one, when you understand words like justification and propitiation, redemption and reconciliation, it helps you to understand about who God is because theology reflects what God is like. And when you think about what God is like, you will rightly think about yourself. And some of us have a very distorted view of God because we don't understand these important words that God has given us. In addition, these words are important to keep you on solid ground. You know, the cults very often prey on babes in Christ who have never grown up and matured. Now, a cult cannot take a person out of the kingdom of God. A true believer will never renounce Christ. But I've seen more than one Christian in my lifetime get sidetracked for a period of time and get knocked off kilter. Not to mention there are those ministries that might have the gospel but a lot of garbage with it, and they end up investing their life and thinking the wrong way. So these words are very important if we're going to be doctrinally sound and live a steady kind of life. And in third, it will keep you, I promise you, from all kinds of wacky beliefs. So what do you think of when you see, think of justification? How would you define it? Now, very often when you ask a person, what is justification, what do they say? I've heard, I've heard it once, I've heard it 10,000 times, just as if I never sinned. But that, as I hope to show you, is a poor definition. It is a very inaccurate definition. It is less than precise to what the Scripture says. Let me give you a definition, and then we'll walk our way through the text. Justification is that act where God declares righteous the believing sinner to be righteous while still in their sin. It's on the slide if you want to write it down. Justification is the act whereby God declares righteous the believing sinner to be righteous while still in their sinful fallen state. First of all, it is an act. It is not a process. It happens instantaneously in a moment's time when you trust Jesus as your Lord. Don't confuse justification with sanctification. Sanctification is that process whereby God, after he saves us, shapes us into the image of Christ. And sanctification can change from day to day, but justification is an act that never, ever changes. When you trust Christ as your Savior, God declares you righteous, and that is a declaration the Bible teaches as he will come into the fifth chapter that can never, ever be repealed. There are no degrees of justification. There are not some Christians who are more justified than others. And so in Romans 7, uh, Romans 1 and verse 7, as in many uh, introductions to Paul's letters, he calls all believers without exception saints. Because every true believer has been declared righteous. It speaks of our position. It is an act, and it is an act of God. It is not something we do. It is something that God does. You cannot justify yourself. And third, it is an act of God where God declares you righteous. It does not mean that God makes you righteous, but that God declares you righteous. It's a legal word from the courtroom in the first century. It does not simply mean just as if I never sinned. That's really the concept of a pardon. That's not the concept of justification. A pardon is negative. Justification is very positive. 
Being justified is far more than being pardoned, and it is a thousand times more than just being forgiven. A pardon is something that basically relieves you of the consequences of your actions. And of course, while a judge may pardon you, he cannot forgive you, because no one can forgive the guilt of sin but God alone. And forgiveness is quite different from justification. Forgiveness deals with restoring a relationship. So you can be pardoned without being forgiven, and the corollary is true, you can be forgiven without being pardoned. When my children were young and maybe they did something wrong, they might come to me and say, Daddy, will you forgive me? And of course I would. And then sometimes they would say, well, can I go out and play now? And sometimes I would say, no, you cannot. Because while I had forgiven them, sometimes as parents, we need to remind our children of the consequences of their actions. Certainly, uh, the same is true in various experiences of life. You may uh, meet someone who would harm you or someone who would even murder someone whom you love. And while you should forgive them, just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you, you may not want to pardon them. No, forgiveness is different from being pardoned. We can forgive anyone by the grace of God for anything we've, they've done. And that's a mark of conversion, by the way. Jesus, in that great passage of Scripture, when Peter asks the question, how many times should I forgive my brother? Jesus there uses it as a mark of conversion. But on the other hand, the Apostle Paul knows that there are times when the Christian can withhold forgiveness. And so he exhorts saved people that we are to forgive each other just as, just like God in Christ has forgiven us. And so while you may forgive even the murderer, you may indeed want justice. Because justice is used by God to curb evil in a fallen world. You may not want that individual pardoned. And so the voice of pardon says you may go. You've been let off from the penalty that your actions deserve. But the voice of forgiveness says, I release you from the debt that you have against me. But while I may be forgiven, it does not mean, while I may be able to forgive you, I certainly cannot justify you. Because there is only one who can justify, and that is God alone. The voice of justification says, I declare you righteous. I declare you as a holy one in my sight. Now some people, when they think of justification, they think of it as a process. That is a major difference, by the way, between Catholics and Protestants. And by Protestants, I'm referring to those biblical Christians. Because unfortunately, we're living in a day where the church is largely apostate and many Protestants are no longer biblical. But the essence of the Reformation was, does God declare a person righteous? Or does God make a person righteous? Now we're going to see to say that God makes a person righteous is to contradict not only this paragraph, but what he is going to teach in Romans 4 and 5 and really the whole of the New Testament. And so in Roman Catholicism, because they believe that God makes a person righteous, they do not believe that a man is saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And of course, they have an authority outside of the Bible. They don't believe in sola scriptura. Scripture alone is the final authority. They have a source outside of the Bible where they can make such declarations. And so here in the stained glass behind you are those five Latin phrases that were the watchwords of the Protestant 
Reformation. And so in Catholic theology, they say that righteousness is gradually imparted, not just by what Christ did, but by what you do. And so it's a faith plus kind of theology. And so for Catholics, the sacramental system is very, very important. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was sitting in a Catholic church through a Catholic mass with one of my loved ones. And there the priest taught dogmatically and with full force that communion and partaking in it was partially what God uses to save us as we take that action. And so it's always faith plus to put the doctrine of justification in a formula as Catholics would think about it. They would say it like this. Faith in Christ's work And by the way, they do affirm the deity of Christ, thank God, better than many Protestant denominations, many of which now deny it. They affirm the doctrine of the Trinity and the deity of Christ. They do teach that Jesus died on a cross, that he was literally physically raised from the dead. At least the church does, not everyone in the church. But they would say, faith in Christ's work plus your good deeds will result in justification. That's why in Catholic theology, it's called the sin of presumption to say that you are saved. They do not believe that anyone can say, I know that I know that I know that I am saved. And certainly that is a logical uh, consequence of their theology. And so what was the Council of Trent? Do you remember that? It was an important council in the history of the church. It was a council that the Roman Catholic Church called that met from December of 1545 to December of 1563. And it met at different times where they would gather together over the course of a few decades. And it was in response to Martin Luther's 95 assertions or theses that a man was saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so let me read a few canons from the Council of Trent. You say, that's an old document. It is, but it's reaffirmed in Vatican I. It's reaffirmed in Vatican II, and the Catholic Church to this day fully embraces it. They say in Canon 9 of the Council of Trent, if anyone says that by faith alone the sinner is justified, that's what we say, meaning that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to obtain the grace of justification, and that it is not in any way necessary that he be prepared and disposed by the movement of his own will, that is his work, Let him be anathema. Now, you've heard that word anathema. It appears in Galatians 1, uh, 8 and 9, where Paul says, if anyone comes to you and preaches to you a gospel contrary to the one which we have preached, let him be accursed or anathema. Even if an angel from heaven comes and preaches a different gospel, let him be accursed. And if you know Galatians, there were false teachers who had come in who said Christ alone is not sufficient. It's Christ plus. Now think your way through this. The word anathema means to be accursed. And so the Roman Catholic Church uses the same word the Apostle Paul uses, and they teach that if you disagree, if you disagree that a man is saved by grace alone, through faith alone, then you're accursed. You're lost. Listen to what Canon 12 says from Trent. If anyone says that justifying faith is nothing else than confidence in the divine mercy pardoning sins for Christ's sake, or that it is that confidence alone by which we are justified, let him be anathema. Listen to Canon 24. 
If anyone says that the justice received is not preserved and also increased, there's your process, not only preserved but increased before God through good works, but that the said works are merely the fruits and signs of justification obtained, but not the cause of the increase thereof, let him be accursed. Now those three canons directly contradict what we are studying here in the book of Romans. So you must choose. They cannot both be right. We're either saved by grace alone, through faith alone, through the cross alone, or we're saved by Christ plus. Those are two very different positions. And so in Catholic theology, God makes a person righteous, not only by Christ's death, but by your works. We're in biblical theology and scripture alone. God declares a person righteous. And so someone might summarize the Protestant or the biblical view of justification with this equation. Faith in Christ's work alone equals justification plus good works. Faith in the work of Christ alone, that is his death and resurrection, what Paul defines to be the gospel, plus nothing equals a declared status of righteousness before God and good works as the valid, validating fruit. So in one's theology, it's a means to justification. In biblical theology, it is the fruit of justification. Now, we need to distinguish justification from sanctification. Justification is an act. Sanctification is an ongoing process where God does shape you into the image of Christ. And in glorification, God brings the two together where your position of being justified and your practice of being sanctified are brought together and that you receive a resurrected body like Christ without a sin nature where you will never, ever, ever again be able to sin. So the voice of pardon says you may go. You've been let off from the penalty, from the consequences your actions deserve. The voice of forgiveness says I no longer hold a debt against you. I release you. But the voice of justification says not only is your sin pardoned, not only do I not hold a debt against you, but I declare you righteous in my sight. I pronounce you holy in my sight. I pronounce you a saint. And so the catchphrase, just as if I never sinned, is very negative and it is not accurate. Rather, it would be much better to say, just as if I always obeyed. Because justification is not simply the remission of sin. It's not simply the forgiveness of sin. It's a new status. It is a declaration in the presence of God of how he looks at you through his son. God puts to your account, on your record, his righteousness. Not only does he wipe the slate clean, that's forgiveness. He declares you holy, that's justification. So justification first is an act of God. We're not done with it. Paul is going to take us deeper in the days ahead. Secondly, justification is a gift from God. Not only is it an act of God, but secondly, it is a gift from God. Notice how verse 24 begins. Being justified as a gift. Literally, the Greek text reads, it's a little wooden, being justified without a cause. 
Uh, the old King James says being justified freely, as does the 1901 American Standard Version. Most of you this morning are reading the new American Standard, but the old American Standard said being justified freely. It's the Greek word dorian. It's the same word Jesus used in John 15 when he said they hated me without a cause. They hated me dorian. He was saying to his disciples, People hate me in this day, and they have no cause to hate me. So we could read the verse, I suppose, being justified without a cause. Paul uses the same word, Dorian, in 2 Thessalonians 3. Listen to these words. He said, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, the new King James says. Nor did we eat anyone's bread for nothing, the old King James says. And our translations here say, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. Dorian, same word. So you could translate, I suppose, the verse, being justified without paying for it. From man's side of the equation, how much does it cost us to be justified? Absolutely nothing. It is without a cause. It is given freely. It is without paying for it. And like every true gift, it is not earned. God doesn't look down on you and say, well, because he is so sharp, or she is so intelligent, or he is so savvy, or he is so talented, or he is so rich, I am going to rescue him and save him, but because he is so crummy, I'll leave him alone. No, there is not a cause in you. The cause is in God Almighty. We had nothing to offer God but raw sewage. But God reached down and he said, in essence, even though there is not a blessed thing in you that deserves this, I want you nonetheless. That's the doctrine of justification. You say, is that a bad thing or a good thing? It is a good thing when you really understand it. Because when you understand this new position is not based on you, then you understand how this new position cannot change. Where if you slip up, God doesn't say, oops, I'm taking that sainthood away. No, this is an eternal status, a declaration as an act of God. In fact, notice, it's interesting, very often justified is just in a past tense, but here he says, being justified. And in the Greek, follow this, you can understand this. It's a present, passive, participle. Remember, tenses in the Bible refer not just to the time of time, but the kind of time. This is an ongoing present tense that cannot change. And it's in the passive voice. And the passive voice conveys the idea that the subject, namely us, are acted upon by an outside power, namely God. That is, God says, I want you. And you have a new status not because of you, but because of my activity of being forever, ongoing, always righteous in my sight. Justification is an act of God and it is a gift from God. And Monday we'll see that it's also because of the grace of God. To listen again to today's message from Romans 3.24, visit our website at searchthescriptures.org and look up program ROM14 entitled God's Way of Salvation. You can also listen to it on our Search the Scriptures app, available at the iTunes Store and Google Play Store. And of course, you can always call us at 877-787-7478 and request a CD or DVD copy. 
At Search the Scriptures, we are pleased to make all of Dr. Brogy's messages available online at no charge. But in order to offset the cost and to cover the expenses of being heard on radio stations around the country, we need your help. Would you please support STS with a one-time gift or by becoming a monthly foundation partner? Get all the details by clicking the Give button at searchthescriptures.org or call us at 877-787-7478. Thank you. Tomorrow, Pastor Carl's wife, Audrey, is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. And when we return Monday, we'll conclude our look at God's way of salvation. Join us then as we search the scriptures.